0: Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. I still find it amazing some people think the world is flat or that vaccines are a bad thing. Anyways, we'll start today's episode by continuing the conversation about why we're questioning everything nowadays. We'll also dive into the city's budgetary impacts on the fire department and comedian, actor, podcast host, and wrestling coach, Jay Moore, is in town. You heard that right. Wrestling coach. Enjoy. Let's dive right into this one. Yesterday, we talked all about why are we questioning everything from vaccines, to education, to politics, to media, and everything in between. Dr. Tom Buchanan is chair of the Sociology and Anthropology at Mount Royal University. Dr. Buchanan, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It is a fascinating discussion when we talk about whether or not we are truly questioning everything and when did this all begin, but I'd like to get into the mindset side of things and what would cause the human psyche to actually question their own their own sights their own sounds their own smells sometimes because it can't be true can it no i think that uh it's it's an interesting topic that you could take in a
1: lot of directions um so i'm not really uh i'm not really as well versed as what's going on exactly what's going on in the psyche i'll leave that to the psychologists a little bit Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but what I can say is that, uh, we're, we're in a situation in society where we are sort of, uh, change is, is very inconvenient. You know, we have a lot of things coming at us like climate change, um, you know, Al Gore's, uh, famous documentary calls it an inconvenient truth. And so, uh, basically when we think about, um, facts and figures and things coming at us, oftentimes it's things that we already disagree with, so, Um, any type of uh, validation or believing in those types of uh, new data coming at us and new information really causes us to have to create some kind of change in our own personal lives. And so that becomes a difficult thing for most people that are used to living the day-to-day routine life.
0: We have this weird notion that this is born out of the Trump era, but I tend to disagree with it because I only look so far as even the Occupy movement, and I go... We've been questioning uh, a lot of our societal um, big big wigs, I guess we'll call them that. You know, whether it's the media, whether it's politicians, whether it's CEOs, we've been we've been questioning those for quite a while now. What is it that has sort of allowed this to kind of keep rolling?
1: Well, I think part of it is, um, you know, back when I was in uh, graduate school for sociology, we really focused a lot on uh, residential segregation and uh, the difficulties that got, that caused in terms of different groups of people understanding each other. And I think now we're in a situation where we not only have residential segregation, but we have kind of technological segregation. And so people are, are very much um, following uh different media outlets that uh, connect with their own uh, pre-existing values. So it's more of a they find media outlets that kind of affirm their their uh, beliefs rather than kind of looking at a, a broad outlets that kind of uh, challenge their beliefs. And so that kind of creates a situation where I think people uh, are more defensive now maybe than uh, they were before. Uh, in in eras where the news might have been uh, a little more balanced, generally speaking.
0: Mm -hmm. Is it one of those things for the average person? You mentioned it earlier on was there's a a desire to not be challenged. Is that something that is factoring in here on all fronts is you're getting challenged plus you're being inundated with all kinds of, whether it's news or information, or even just simply going through your Facebook feeds, you, you, tri- you tend to uh, almost try to keep it as simple and as focused as humanly possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know if you, um, like I said, that people are, are pretty much connecting to information that sort of aligns with their, with their value systems. And uh, so when you do come across people that are uh, challenging that, um, probably that's more of um, an anomalous situation, whereas probably historically, your uh, the people that you were around um, possibly challenged you on a more day-to-day basis. Um, but now, because of all the technological segregation, um, people are more likely to uh, be defensive about that because bringing in facts and figures uh, becomes something more of an attack than maybe it used to be. Um, and so I think that's uh, that's part of the problem. I also think that in uh, today's society, for instance, if you're looking at, say, rates of declining uh, crime, uh, is something that um, uh, came across. And one of the things that uh, one of the studies found was that even though the rates of crime are declining, people aren't uh, necessarily believing that and they think that crime is on the increase. And so that becomes more of a, I think, more of a, a statistical issue because if you're looking at um, rates of crime, um, that's, you know, say violent crimes per 100,000 households uh, over over a course of years. Um, Maybe rates have declined, but there are more people now and probably more, uh, more crimes uh, in terms of the tallies of crimes. And so what I think happens is uh, it's harder for people to really digest a lot of the rates that come out um, because they're thinking more in their, in their personal day-to-day environment, um, uh, kind of believing what they uh, are seeing on a day-to-day basis.
0: Would you say that there's a failure to contextualize for a lot of people?
1: I think definitely. Uh, because um because um a lot of the environments where debates are occurring uh, about facts and figures and fake news and all this stuff, it's already at a contentious state, and so people don't seem to be uh, in a mindset where they're going to actually uh, sit down and entertain and contextualize. Uh, particular facts and figures, um, because once you put some context on some of the uh, the data that's coming out, you can see how uh, interpretation can play play into it. Um, And so, yeah, I I totally agree with uh, the lack of context that's provided in in many cases.
0: When you look at sort of the past and you look at what's happening now, is there a way that we can get sort of out of this or is it just sort of a natural evolution that needs to happen? Or I posed this question uh, yesterday to another gentleman in this field and I said, "What?" Where do we get back to normal, I guess, or is this the new normal? Well, I I do think it's sort of the new normal, uh, but
1: I also think that possibly we could be uh, getting to a point, uh, I hate to say it, but maybe we're going to hit rock bottom here and and bounce back. Um, But I think that what I've noticed in uh, kind of being a news junkie myself and a sociologist is that... um, it's kind of hard when, when you see some outlets or some programs, um, probably kind of like your program, when you try to actually uh, provide an environment uh, where there's more of a balanced debate on things. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's not as popular um, than the, the sort of one sided uh, media outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that becomes kind of challenging, even though it's the right thing to do. Um, it, it really, uh, it, it's not as, um, attractive to an audience. And so I find that the, the, the media outlets are constantly trying to do the right thing, but in some of the more mass media outlets on TV, for instance, um, they're, they have a hard time with it because, uh, there's a sense of, uh, that they're going to lose their audience. And, and part of that's probably, our, our modern-day technological environment that we're in, in which you know, we, we want to be sort of entertained and excited by the news rather than educated as much.
0: You're taking away from my whole mission to civilize, sir, and I don't appreciate it. I'm just <laughs> bugging you. Uh, Dr. Buchanan, uh, this is a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for the time today.
1: Thank you very much. I look forward to uh, listening to more of your program.
0: As you heard in the news with Haley at 5 o'clock, city getting ready for budget deliberations, and Calgary police are looking for more money to hire more frontline officers. On the Calgary Fire Department's front, what are they looking for? Deputy Fire Chief Ken Uselock joining us now. Uh, Deputy Chief, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. When it comes to the upcoming budget deliberations, we've seen the recommendations now from the fire department standpoint. What do you see in those recommendations? Anything a point of concern or maybe a point of happiness from the fire department standpoint?
2: Well, I, I think it's a, a little bit of both. So we we recognize that uh, it's a tough economic time out there still in our city. And there's a lot of priorities out there for citizens and for council And so the city as a whole has worked very hard from a one Calgary point of view to balance those priorities. And so with the fire department, we're giving a little in some places, but we're also getting some growth for some new stations and new communities that are proposed in there, as well as some additional staff to help close the gap that we've seen over the last number of years of balancing our first due units with the bulk of the resources we need to mitigate an emergency.
0: When it comes to the manpower issue, I'll start there. Is Where are we at? Are you good with the manpower situation or, or what do we need optimally?
2: Well, that's a, a tough number to quantify. So we, we generally look at it from a performance standpoint point of how long does it take us to get there and to assemble all the people we need and so the balancing act is the first due unit so the first truck that arrives on scene of an emergency our performance is actually not bad right now but it's that performance of our effective response force of you know for a fire it's getting all those other units with people there to be able to properly attack the fire and protect exposures and do search. So, we've got a bit of a gap there that's been a gap that was identified probably, you know, 14 years ago that council previous councils have been supporting to kind of close a bit, but there's still that gap there. And so, you know, we've got some some proposals in this budget that are going to add some staff to reduce that gap a bit, but, you know, you're never, you can't afford to close that gap completely in one
0: swoop. When it comes to actual facilities, and I know the, the pressure gets put on you every time a new community is built, is, are we where we need to be in Calgary or are there still uh, some, some issues in the burbs?
2: Well, I think it's uh, been addressed uh, through the growth strategy uh, this year, earlier this year, where they really uh, reinforced that fire is a key component to new communities and that you know the service needs to be equitable for all Calgarians. And then the growth uh, removal for new communities feeds in some discussion on when's the right time for fire to be there. So three of the uh, new st- new growth stations that are proposed in this budget are a result of getting us out into some of these growth areas that will be opening up to make sure citizens have the right initial protection.
0: Is there much in the way of discussion in terms of trying to... I guess triage which calls you guys are going to because I know one of the it's not necessarily complaint but maybe a surprise in a sense that some some fender benders end up getting a uh, a call to CFDs so I'm wondering if if that's still sort of being addressed on the fly or is there a review in place there or where do we stand there?
2: We constantly are looking at our performance, the calls we go to, um, the base that we look at is do we need to be there. If so, what's the right resources that need to be there and how do we get them there? So we look at our, our, our deployment as a system and we're constantly moving and adjusting where trucks are placed, what we go to. So we've reviewed the call types that we'd go to medical calls on. We review different kind of uh, non-emergency calls to see, you know, do we need to be at these or is there somebody else that needs to be there? So a lot of times on uh, motor vehicle collisions, for example, even if it's not a medical or there needs to be an extrication, we take care of that component of if, if there's leaking fluids that may harm the environment or get into the waterway. So there's a number of factors that we look at and all of that blends with what's the right resources to go to those types of events.
0: From a fire department standpoint, what would be your main message to Calgary councillors as they go into deliberations?
2: Well, I think the main message that we want to get across is the, uh, the vast number of services that the Calgary Fire Department does provide both in a primary response role but in a partnership role with other city partners, you know, whether it's the police department or emergency medical services or water services during, you know, when we're into floods and and things like that. So there's a a lot of uh, services across the city that work together and, you know, you need to look at a service as a whole, not just the individual components of it. To, to know whether whether the investments are, are appropriate or not.
0: Deputy Fire Chief Ken Uselock, thank you so much for the time this afternoon. Thank you, Joan. He is a comedian, an actor, a podcast host, an author, and for this weekend, at least... He's also going to be a wrestling coach with the University of Calgary Dinos wrestling team. Jay Moore joining us now on the program. Jay, welcome. How you doing, Joe? Happy to be talking to you. Oh, yeah, you too. Uh, first off, you're coming up to Calgary. You're doing a little thing with the UFC Dinos. Are you ready for the snow is probably the first question to ask.
3: I am. Snow and I have a uh, really nice relationship going back to my childhoods in New Jersey. And uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. 'cause I'm now living in Malibu, so it's uh it's gonna be a reunion between me and snow, and I'll think of all the times my my uh the snow stuck to like my mittens as a kid and I almost died of
0: the elements because <laughs> I wouldn't come in and go get dinner. I had to keep playing and playing and playing. You'll have to do that. Uh, there's a video that went viral not too long ago about a couple of kids who saw snow for the very first time in Toronto, and they went absolutely ballistic. So you should do something along those lines. Like, look it up on Twitter, and then you can you can reenact it in your own uh, funny little way.
3: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just what is this mana from heaven that's <laughs> happening here? You ever see the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he goes, the new phone books are here. I'd <laughs> be like,
0: no! Like, I think it's worth a lot of money. <laughs> oh my gosh. That'd be so good. Like, I, again, you could go a million different ways. I mean, your mind just goes a million miles an hour, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, and what's amazing is you only hear what I've edited. So in my brain, it's like JFK and O'Hare Airport combined. Uh, and then I have to land an airplane or two on a. On a runway or two, and then you guys hear the actual concise version of the cuckoo nest that's in my head
0: <laughs> when you look back on your career, you've gone from stand up comedy and movie screens to podcasting and life coaching, writing books and coaching wrestling of all things. Did you ever think in a million years that would be you um it's a really good question by the way, so cool on that man um.
3: Yes and no no because it's inconceivable when you're coming up. I mean, I started stand-up comedy when I was 16 years old and it wasn't until about 3 years into comedy where I realized this is a big pie with a lot of slices on it that you could in comedy like you could be a guy that just does comedy clubs on the road. Make a lot of money, live out of a suitcase, and that's success. You can do commercials. You can get into movies. You can get into sitcoms. You can do corporate shows. You can do cruise ships. You can do voiceovers. So I knew early that the world was my oyster within the confines or construct, I should say, of this business. But I'm sort of – I think I'm the first. Like, I'm really – my my life passion is coaching, wrestling, and fighting. Mm -hmm. So – I didn't anticipate that. I've always, you know, I wrestled in high school. I wrestled in college, and I've always loved the sport so much. In the back of my mind, I always thought I'd love to coach. I would really love assistant coach. (laughs) I (laughs) don't want to really a head coach. Assistant coaches get sued and fired a lot less. (laughs) But so, when it presented itself by the most randomness things, a year. I've only been coaching a year and a half. I was at a friend's house working on a script with him, and his sons were walking around in these in this particular high school uh, t-shirts and shorts. And I said, hey, does this school need an assistant wrestling coach? And he just looks up from the script. He goes, I think they do. And he gave me athletic director's name. I called the guy. Joe, my only resume, the only thing on my resume was, I want to do this, right. you know? And um, the, the head coach hired me, and, it's changed my life again and again and again. So uh, no, because I. The, I'm sorry. So I'm done driving around Lombard Street here. <laughs> no, because I can never conceptualize the unending well of value that the wrestling
0: room mm-hmm. fills me with. Well, and that's what's bringing you here to Calgary is a fundraiser for the University of Calgary Dino's uh, wrestling team. I know you're a big sports nut. Oh, my nut. God, i
3: got to get to the airport. Yeah, I know. I... This
0: is, you're getting there. I know you're <laughs> on your way. When you think about that aspect of it, and I know you're a big sports nut, is wrestling where your true passion is, or, or is there a sport that kind of takes your heart more than any other?
3: Uh, nothing like wrestling, no, because... It's just the analogy I guess I could use is the ocean. You see the ocean, it's the ocean, but then you see a fish jump in the ocean. Then you see a dolphin. Then you realize the amount of kelp and the coral and a, uh, and toll islands, the amount of life inside an ocean. And it's always moving with tides, currents, temperatures. So it is absolutely my sustenance now. And I'm writing a book. Um, I'm also a life coach and I'm writing a book, get your gazelle, how to unlock your best self by thinking like a wrestler, just things I've learned by being in wrestling rooms. And it it really is when you wrestle, there's always another tool in the toolbox. You see guys trying one move and they force it, they force it and that doesn't work. So what I love about wrestling and it ties to the ocean analogy There's always another fish, there's always some kelp, there's always a seaweed, there's always some stone in the bottom of the ocean. There's always something else you could be doing. And I'll tell my wrestlers, toolbox, toolbox, and that means, like, you gotta move on to something else. Mm -hmm. you ever play Tetris? When I was a kid, absolutely. Yeah, there's always another piece coming down for you. So you don't take that weird, bendy piece that we hate, but if you played enough, you can hallucinate that it's landing on people's shoulders. You can't, like, force that someplace. You just got to wait for that one square to come down and save the day. Just stay busy and keep working
0: at will. Great advice for the kids today. Uh, for the next couple of days here in Calgary. Uh, Jay Moore, as always, thanks uh, so much for the time today. We're done already? We're done already. I know it's a shocking development, but man, we're up against the clock. I appreciate it, though. Okay,
3: but there's people listening. I just want to say this real quick. I did a movie in Calgary, and I lived along the Bow River for six weeks, and it's still to this day, so my, my greatest, most kind, beautiful memories. I love Calgary, so I'm really excited to be getting up there again.
0: And I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.